Hey everybody, welcome to this week's recording of the message and the worship service. We're so glad that you tuned in and that you could be with us. You saw my little introduction with my two little friends there and want to welcome you back to this season as we travel through the wilderness and especially as we come to the book of Numbers and learn from God. How do we make it through the wilderness which we're currently in, which is COVID-19 and and the, the realities of social distancing, of isolation, of quarantine, of uncertainty and where is the future going. And in, in the midst of this, I believe that this ancient book written you know, over 3,000 years ago has real answers for us in the circumstances and the situation which we find ourselves today. So I'm just inviting you to join with me as we journey through the wilderness with the Israelites in about 13 to 1500 BC with Moses, God is present with them and he is educating them. He is, he is testing them. There are times of trial and there's times of teaching and training as they go through the wilderness together. And that's what God, I believe, wants to do in our lives here today and through this season, which we call COVID-19. And so as we come to God's word, would you pray with me as we just seek to learn from him together? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you just for your blessing in our lives that you care for us even when it's difficult and challenging. I pray for church family members that are going through difficult times right now, some that are experiencing loss, some that are in the hospital and with sickness, others that are isolated and quarantined, some that are unemployed. Lord, you know the situations of everyone that's watching this video, and I pray that your word would speak a real and living message to them today as they watch this. And so we come to you, teach us, Lord, train us as we navigate this wilderness together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we began this series from the book of Numbers, uh, moving through, following God through the wilderness. And what we discovered last week, if you haven't watched the video, I encourage you to do so. Numbers chapter 7, verse 89, and chapter 9, verses 15 to 23, is that God speaks to us in the wilderness, and and that God leads us in the wilderness. And then we can can learn from God, and we can follow God in the wilderness. What has happened here is, is that a significant event has occurred in the history of Israel. God has delivered his people from slavery in Egypt and has taken them to the promised land that he promised to Abraham 400 years before. They're a vast group of people, 2 million probably is the estimate, and, and he's taken them on this journey. Now normally, if you were to just travel this journey, you could do it in less than two weeks. But God slows their journey down so that he can test them, so that, so that he, can, he can allow them to experience some trial, and so he can train them so that they can be his people in the wilderness. He's established for them a system of worship. He's ordered them. He's given them the law and the commandments. He's saying, this is the kind of people that I want you to be, my people. I want you to reflect my character, my holiness. And so throughout the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and now into Numbers, he is training, teaching, testing, preparing his people for what is to come, the future. And now they're moving ahead. The temple, the tabernacle, pardon me, is in the middle of the camp. God's presence is is dwelling with them, and he's guiding them, and he's leading them. And as we come to to the middle of the book of Numbers, chapter 11 today, we find them encountering some challenges. And what we learn from the the stories in the middle of the book of Numbers is, is, is that several times the people of Israel failed. And the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says these, these stories are given as examples to us so that we can learn from their mistakes. See, the challenge is the wilderness will tend to bring out parts of our character that God wants to work on, 
That's what's happening in your life right now. I'm sure it's happening in mine. As you're slowed down, as you're put into the confines of your immediate family, as, as you've had to adjust your schedules, as you've had to cancel plans for the future and, and, and readjust your expectations, things may be coming up in your life that God is wanting to work on and to, for you to work through so that you could become more like Jesus Christ through this wilderness experience. He, he has a better future for you in mind. And he is allowing this season for us to grow with him. And Numbers 11 begins to, to show what's going on in the hearts of some of the people that are here in the camp moving with God. Um, as we go through the story, I'm, I'm going to bring out a key point, and that is that, that God will take care of you. That, that we can just count on God in the wilderness to guide us, to speak to us, and to provide for us. But sometimes, in the midst of, of the trial and the, <clears throat> the difficulty that comes in the wilderness, we can think that maybe we're not getting God's best. That we deserve more from God. Or that God has somehow left us abandoned in the wilderness. And that's not true. But that's a temptation and a trial that may come into your life in this season of COVID-19. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11. And we're going to look at this story and just see some key points. And I'm going to bring them out in the negative, you know, things that we shouldn't do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Because it's a negative example and we can learn from their, their failure and their, their, and when their situation. And so, so understand, I'm saying that don't and, and not that I want to be a downer, but the reality is God wants a better way through for all of us. And so we can learn from this story here that God will take care of you, even in your wilderness experience. Of course, the first thing is that we shouldn't, don't complain. Look at that in chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. When the Lord heard it, his anger burned, and so the fire of the Lord burned, burned among them and consumed some of the outer parts of the camp. When the people cried to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So he called the name of that place Tibera, because there the fire of the Lord burned among them. So understand, up to this point in the book of Numbers, everything has been going pretty good. Uh, everything has been dedicated. The priests are active. God has come down. He's dwelling in the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. Everything is, is, is hunky-dory. But in the midst of this journey, it's about three years in, some people begin to complain. They get critical. Uh, they're whining. Now, I got a picture of the, the camp up here. and just You can see a kind of a, a drawing of it. And and of course, there's the tabernacle in the middle and then all the tents around the outside. And, and you've got to understand that the whole theology of the camp was that the camp was the place of God's presence. It was the place of, of, of cleanliness, the place of purity, the place of, of holiness. And so to dwell in the camp was to dwell in the presence of God, to be close to God. It, it was to be in, in, a, in, in an intimate relationship with God. It was to have the mediation of God and the, and the priests and Moses you know, interceding on your behalf. I mean, that, it was the, the safety and the security was in the camp. And as we read through the law in Exodus, Leviticus, you'll discover that if you were unclean, you touched the dead body. You had some contact with blood, uh, other things that would make you unclean. You were to go outside of the camp for a period of time and then come back in when, when you were considered to be clean. If you had a skin disease, you were to go outside of the camp. If you had to go to the bathroom, you took your shovel and you went outside the camp. I mean, you, you get what I'm saying here. I mean, but the ideal was to be in the camp. Today, of course, the camp is, is to be, have a close relationship to God through Jesus Christ. 
and to be surrendered to Jesus Christ and to allow the Holy Spirit to have control and, and, and sway in your life and, and to, to dictate and, and to guide you. And so, so understand, I mean, the, the New Testament principle is different, but, the, but the, the concept is the same, that we want to be close to God. But here on the outside of the camp, in the midst of their complaining, God sends a little warning signal to them. You better stop complaining. And the, the, the opposite of complaining, of course, is, is just to be quiet and, and to trust God in that situation. He's like, you know, quit complaining. Just be quiet because, because I, I'm, I'm watching what you're doing. What you're, the, the steps you're taking are not going to lead to a good destination if you keep this pattern up in your life. Now, here's the problem. You and I in seasons of wilderness will want to complain. It's natural. Uh, Canadians actually love complaining, right? When it's really cold, we complain it's too cold. When it's really hot, we complain it's too hot. When it's raining, we complain that it's raining. I mean, this is a pattern that we have, and, and we have to be aware of this pattern. But as God is leading us in the wilderness and his presence is with us, we have to just be quiet and walk with him through the wilderness and not fall into the pattern of complaining. Because that will lead us to other destructive tendencies and ultimately to self-destruction if we're not careful. You need to be quiet and trust God through it. And he sends this little fire to the outside of the camp, to the perimeter. It's a, it's a warning. You guys are, are beginning to step outside of, of what is best for you. Uh, it's a little flare-up. I mean, you know, if, if, think about spring, right? I mean, if you, if you step into a, a field full of cows and there's the, the sire bull and, and what he'll sometimes do is put his head up and snort at you, right? And that's a little signal, right? I'm watching you. And the moment I, I feel like you are invading my territory, I'm going to escort you out of the field, right? It's that, you know, it's that little signal, right? I mean, it's the same thing a mother cow will do that. You know, she'll have a calf, and, and you'll come near, and, and then she'll, she'll kind of, you know, look at you. She might even kind of give you a little bit of a, a huff, you know, and that, that's your signal, like, yeah, as long as I think you're okay, but if I feel like you're threatening my calf, I'm coming at you. God sends this little signal, a little warning. Watch where you're stepping. Be careful. Complaining is not going to take you where you want to go where you need to go, where I want to take you. And so they named the place Tibera, and God sent the warning. But did they get the message? They didn't get the message. Because in chapter, in verse 4, we find them kind of following the same pattern. Uh, they, they step into the same kind of behavior. In verse 4 it says, that Now the mixed multitude, and that word could be translated the, the, the rabble, maybe in your Bible it says, or the, the riffraff, who were among them, craved more desirable foods. And so the Israelites wept again and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now we are dried up and there's nothing at all before us except this manna. Now, the rabble was this group who lived on the outside of the camp. Now, imagine. You are a slave in Egypt. You're not an Israelite. But God is doing all these mighty signs to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And finally, they're like, get out, leave. And you see your opportunity to get out too. And so what happens was the Israelites left, but there was a group that kind of followed with and they were like, hey, this is our chance to get out. They weren't Israelites. And as we'll see, they weren't people of faith. And in the middle of this situation, they've enjoyed the blessing and the benefits of God, but they begin to, to, to whine, to complain, to murmur. To think that, oh, we had it better back there. Why did we leave? All we have is this manna. But the lesson that we have to take from this is don't forget what you do have. They had the manna. But they were beginning to idealize and romanticize the past. 
Have you ever done that? You know, you think back to an era of your life which was so perfect. And yet if you were to go back there, you'd realize that there was the same challenges and different challenges, but, but you kind of think, oh, it was so good back then. And the reality is God doesn't want to take us backwards. God is always taking us forwards. And part of that is, is, is sometimes it, it, we're leaving the past completely behind. I mean, when you get baptized as a, as a new believer in Jesus Christ, that's the, that's the, the symbolism is, is you're dead to the past. You're alive to Jesus Christ. Quit going back there. You're not going back there. It's, it's over. It's gone. God wants to take you forward. Don't forget what you do have. And they're thinking, oh, we had fish. We had it so good. Now, understand, they were slaves. They worked at a brick kiln in the hot Egyptian heat. They had to find straw, make bricks, you know, pump them out, you know, in, in, in ever-increasing amounts for the Egyptians. I mean, they, they were getting beaten and, and whipped. And, and, and they're thinking, oh, it was so good back then. And, and of course, embedded in, into that statement is the fact that God is not really looking out for us. God doesn't care for us. God is not good to us. And thankfully, the writer describes the manna in verses 7 to 9. He says, Now, the manna was like coriander seed, the color like the color of bededlium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it with mills and pounded it in mortars and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. It tasted like fresh olive oil. This is a positive statement. He's like, look, the, the, the manna was not that bad, but it was a consistent supply. It was the same thing. They could make it different ways. And, and yes, they had to be content, but God was providing in the manna, everything they need. Somehow God had manufactured the perfect nutritious recipe that would sustain every one of their dietary needs. Don't forget what you do have. And when the dew came down on the camp, verse 9, in the night, the manna fell with it. They didn't do anything. The gracious hand of God gave the manna every day. And what's their response? to cry and to complain. You know, a, a few complainers can ruin a whole group. You, you've, you've experienced this, maybe at work. Got a couple whiners and they just begin to sour the whole bunch. It's like a moldy orange in a box of Christmas oranges. You know, if you don't take it out pretty soon, the whole box is moldy, right? I mean, I mean, here it is, a couple complainers from, from the rabble, from the outside, and they're like, oh, it was so good back there. All we got now is this man. And he's like, look, the man wasn't that bad. But it's just they're complaining. And of course, it's incredibly disappointing for Moses. I mean, God's carried them. He's spoke to them. He's, a, he's given them the law. He's set up the tabernacle. He's dwelling in their presence. And what is the response? People are complaining and they're crying. They forgot what they do have. I mean, he took them through this, the Red Sea and the Red Sea closed up and it was like, it's over. The past, Egypt is gone. Now we're going one way and that is to the promised land. God's taken us forward, not backwards. And maybe this wilderness of COVID is a reminder to you that God wants to take you forward. And there may be things you need to leave behind in this wilderness so that you can move forward more effectively with Jesus Christ in this season of wilderness and of COVID-19. Don't forget what you do have. Be content. You know, there's that old song in 1986 uh, Janet Jackson saying, you know, saying, you know, you know, what have you done for me lately? I mean, that's kind of what they're saying. You, you know, what have you done for me lately, God? You know, oh, you know, and, and they forgot what he'd done for them. Let's not forget what God's done for us. I mean, we just came through Easter. We can forget what, what a significant price Jesus Christ paid for us on the cross. We, we can forget the glory of the resurrection day in the empty tomb. We can, we can forget that Jesus has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father right now 
interceding for us. So just like Moses intercedes in verses 1 to 3, Jesus is doing that for us right now in heaven. We can forget these things if we just get stuck and focus on our circumstances in the wilderness. Don't forget. And we find Moses responding to this. Verse 10. And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. And when the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, Moses was also displeased. And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of this entire people on me? Notice, now just pause for a second. Notice, as we go through this, how many times Moses says, I or me in this section. Did I conceive this entire people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your arms or the foster father bears a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? From where shall I get meat to give to this entire people? For they cry to me, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear this entire people alone because it's too heavy for me. But if you are going to deal with me like this, then kill me immediately. If I have found favor in your sight, then do not let me see my trouble. I mean, here's Moses. He's just bowled over by this. I mean, they had a similar situation when they came out of Egypt. On the other side of the Red Sea where they complained about meat, where they, they complained about lack of water and, you know, and, and Moses and God provided for them there. And it's like, it's like, after all you've seen, after God's dwelling us in the middle of the camp, he's providing man every day, and here we are back at the same place. You see, God will bring you back to the same situations until you learn the lesson. You didn't get the lesson the first time. He'll bring it back to you again. He'll bring you back around again. He'll bring you, I mean, you may have experienced the same thing again and again. I mean, some people, I mean, they just never seem to learn. And God wants you to learn because he wants to take you to a, a better place. And here's Moses pouring out his heart. And see, the key that we need to remember from this part of the story is that don't try to make it on your own. You see, Moses, I, me, I, me. He's carrying this burden on his own. And see, God wants to take care of you in the wilderness. He wants to provide for you and guide you and lead you and speak to you. And you need to not carry the burden of your situation all on your own. Jesus and God want to carry it with you. When it says the verse that Katie read in the announcements, you know, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Moses, though, pours out his heart. Now, the difference between the people and Moses is that the people are complaining to others. Moses brings his complaint and concern to God. There's a biblical term for that in the Psalms. It's lament. We can be honest and express our emotions to God. There is nothing wrong with that. God wants to speak to you and, and to hear from you and to minister to you at the deepest level of your emotional and psychological being. He's not afraid of that. But see, the difference between complaining to others is that you're trying to cause problems. But when you bring it to God, you're saying, okay, God, I believe you have the solution and I need your help in this scenario. And, but Moses is here and he's like, I can't handle this anymore. Now, stop for a second. It's time out. The reality of mental illness in COVID-19 is, is, is huge. Some of you may feel depressed, anxious, overwhelmed, exhausted, and various continuums and, and combinations of all those and, and others emotions that, that come in with this. I I can't imagine what some of you are, are, are going through because of the scenarios that you, you face in, in your daily life, in your family's life. I, I, but I, I just want you to know that God understands your scenario. 
God will take care of you, but you don't need to do it alone. You need to get help. There's nothing unspiritual about asking for help, about going to a counselor, about calling. Call us. We'll get you connected. We know there are counselors in our church that do tele-counseling or online counseling. I mean, there are elders that will pray with you and listen to you and, and read God's Word. I mean, you don't have to go through this alone. This is what God's going to teach Moses. Don't try to do it alone. And he's going to provide for Moses just like he will provide for you in your season. But I'm just saying to this, and if you get to that point where you're starting to think thoughts of like, I'd be better off if I wasn't here, then you really need help. That is not a message from God. God values your life. Like the book of Numbers says, he, he knows you, he numbers you, he accounts for you, he has a plan for you. If you're starting to feel like, oh, it'd be better if I just wasn't here, that's a serious thought and you need help and we want to help you. Don't stop and, and, and just pretend that that's not a, a thing you should, you, know, you should just ignore. No, get help. Call us. Call a helpline. Don't, you know, suicide is not an option that, that, that God wants you to pursue ever. And Moses, at the end of himself, is just like, oh. And God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't blast him. He doesn't send a little fire onto the fringe of his coat or anything. He just says, okay, I'll, I'll look after you, Moses. You see this in verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know are elders of the people and officials over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting. Let them take their position there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take part of the spirit that is on you and will put it on them. And they will bear some of the burden of the people with you so that you do not bear it all by yourself. You see, one of the challenges of COVID is that the nature of the church, the body of Christ, you know, family of God, is that we are there for each other. But because of of the, you know, the, the laws of the land and the reality of, of the situation and us trying to just help out to, to stop the spread of this virus. Uh, we're not able to meet together, but we're, that doesn't stop our ability to, to help and to bear one another's burdens in this season of wilderness. You don't need to do it alone. Uh, receive the help. Offer help. Be there for each other. God says, look, I'm, I'm going to spread out the, the weight so that you're not carrying this all alone, Moses. And he says in verse 18, and say to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow you will eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For life was good for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat. You will eat not just one day, not two days, not five days, not 10 days, not 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and makes you sick. I mean, God's going to teach them a lesson here. And we'll get to it at the end of the story. But in the midst of, of this, we have two groups of people. We have Moses handling this situation coming to God. We have the people handling the situation by complaining and criticizing and, and raising a ruckus amongst the, the whole camp. And God's like, I'm going to deal with both of you. I'm going to provide for both of you. And you're going to both learn a lesson from this. And that serves as a lesson for us today. But the key, of course, is, is found, you know, in, in verse 20. You know, we... Don't despise God's way. He says at the end of verse 20 there, because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? The wilderness has turned them into atheists. They would rather go back to their existence as slaves without God's active presence in their life 
then wander and, and meander and journey through the wilderness with God and learn from Him and, and be tested by Him and, and endure trials with Him and, and be trained and, and, and finally come out the people that He wants them to be. They would rather go back to their life without God. Can you believe that? Don't despise God's way. Embrace God's path. You, you see that in, in verse, back in verse 18, it says, you know, they thought that life was good in Egypt. Again, they've idealized and romanticized the past. And some of you may be tempted to think, oh, life was so much better before COVID. And maybe some aspects were, but I believe that life will be better on the other side of COVID. I believe that God has a, a preferred feature for you and me on the other side that we can find and experience as we journey with him. Don't despise God's way. Embrace God's path. I was reading this morning my devotions in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and it's like, don't despise the Lord's discipline because the Lord disciplines those he loves. I'm like, he's like, yeah, you remember your dad disciplined you? I'm like, yeah, I remember that. I had a dad that disciplined me, and he loved me. He did it for my, for my benefit, and God allows seasons of disciplining, and, and not in, the, in a chastising way, but just trials that make us stronger. I think COVID is, is, a, is one of those trials, even in the life of our church, to make us stronger and in your life to, to just strengthen your faith and for you to learn that God will take care of you. Don't despise God's way. And then he continues, verse 21. Moses said, The people around me are 600,000 on foot. But you say, I will give them meat so that they may eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if the flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? If all the fish of the sea were caught for them? Would they have enough? I mean, Moses, here's God. He's like, God, I, I, how are you going to do this? How, how is this possible? I can't do this, God. And of course, God never said that Moses would have to do this. But Moses seems to think that, that he is responsible. And God's like, I'm responsible. And then verse 23 the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you will see whether my word to you will come true or not. And that word, that phrase, is the Lord's hand shortened. You know, the, the Lord's hand, his arm, was, was a symbol of his power. I mean, with his hand, he led the people out of Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea. He provided for them water from the rock. I mean, he has looked after them and, and delivered them and protected them with his hand. And, 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 and now God is teaching Moses. He's training Moses. He said, do you forget how strong my hand is? How, how powerful? Uh, what resources are at my disposal? I'm the almighty creator of the universe. Don't limit God's ability to take care of you. Have faith. Don't limit God's ability to take care of you. You need to have faith in this circumstance. Some of you see the, the bills mounting up and you're not sure about what kind of assistance is going to be there. You're not sure if your business is going to be there, if, you're going to, if you're, the business you work for is going to be there. And in the midst of that, you wonder if God actually can get you through this, can provide for you through this. And, and the book of Numbers reminds us that, that don't limit God's ability to take care of you. He has the resources to look after you, to take care of you, to, 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 to watch out for you. And of course, I've got some pictures of, of quail here. You, you see, see the pictures up there? There's one, there's one, a single one, and then the one with some, a mom and a dad and a bunch of little chickies. I mean, 
this, this for, the, for the people, this is all they see, but God sees a bigger picture. But you can see little things can become big problems if we approach it in the wrong way. And we're going to see that as the story progresses here. Just think about that for a minute here. So we come to verse 24 of chapter 11. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. He then gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and had them stand around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to them. And he took some of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. But God, God spreads out the, and, and he shows Moses that I am looking after you. I'm spreading the burden amongst you. And, and there's two guys that aren't even there that you see in the next section that, that are prophesying in the camp. And it's just like, God is looking after them. God is taking care of them. But then we come to verse 31. We'll jump ahead to there the conclusion of the story. Now a wind went out from the Lord and brought quail from the sea and let them fall near the camp about a day's journey on this side, about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, about three feet high on the surface of the ground. Now we're not sure if that was, they were flying three feet, three feet high or there was literally that many birds. I mean, regardless, there were a ton of quail on the outside of the camp, inside, I mean, they're just all around. And the people stayed up all that day, all that night, and all the next day and gathered the quail. The one who gathered the least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But here's the country, verse 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before they chewed it, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people that craved different food. The people traveled from Gibroth Hatava to Hazaroth, and they stayed at Hazaroth. So, th- so there you go. This craving, this longing for meat. God's like, you want meat? I'm giving you meat. And as they're chewing the meat, suddenly the plague of the Lord comes on. Now, this is part of the, New Test- the Old Testament that's hard to, to stomach sometimes. It's just the reality of, of God's judgment, which sometimes comes across very harsh, but it's real. You see, they had despised God. They had questioned God's goodness. The word for craving, in fact, is the same word used in Genesis 3 of of Eve's desire for the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that they were not to partake of. You see, when we have ungodly cravings, they always lead to disastrous results. Part of the wilderness experience is you may have longings and cravings that you have to address in your life. And you need to be aware of those and avoid those and set up you know, some barriers in your life so you're not going down the wrong direction and getting yourself in trouble because of your cravings. You have a need to shop. You're going online and you're just racking up the credit card, buying stuff on Amazon or whatever it is. You, you find yourself looking at pornography and that just becomes a, a greater and greater craving and it's never satiated. I mean, you've you got to be aware of this. There's all sorts of dangers in the wilderness journey. But when you keep God at the center, we avoid those dangers. We find ourselves, we, we can not get into that trouble. And of course, there, there's the picture of, there, there's the people. I have this picture on, on the slide there of the, the people in the tents, they're catching the quail. And, but in the end, it, it, it destroys them. You see, when you serve yourself and you just seek what is selfish 
in the end, you will destroy yourself. I don't know if you read that book, Pinocchio, saw the movie. You know, at one point, Pinocchio goes with his buddy over to Pleasure Island. And it's this place that every little boy's dream, right? There's no rules. And, and they can do everything that they're not allowed to do on the mainland. I mean, there's, you know, they're drinking, they're smoking, they're playing pool, they're, they're vandalizing, they're swearing. I mean, it's just, you know, belching. It's just crazy. But, but what happens in the, in the movie is that, is that as, the, as the boys do this and they think it's the ideal life, they begin to turn into donkeys. So finally they can no longer speak and they're taking their coals off and they ship them to the coal mines to work as donkeys in the mines. And it's, it's sort of a, a parable of life is that, you know, if, if you think that a life without rules and boundaries is the best life, in the end, that life will destroy you. God has the best life in mind for you. There is nothing behind you that is as good as what God has in front of you. We said again, there's nothing behind you in your past that is as good as what God has in store for you ahead of you, your future. The future for the Israelites was real bright. All they had to do was just trust God, walk with him in faith and confident trust. But what we see in this story is, is this ingratitude. They are not thankful to God for what they have. And they don't believe that God can get them through and he has their best interests at stake. Those two attitudes can destroy you in the wilderness. Some of you are going to be tested on these matters. You're going to lose stuff. You're going to be challenged in your identity because maybe your job will change. Uh, you're going to have to adjust some of your future plans. I mean, it's going to disrupt the rhythm of your life. It already has. But the key that we learn from Numbers 11 is not to lose faith and to remain thankful. God will take care of you. He knows what you and I are going through. He knows what it feels like at home and where you're locked up with the people that you've been with for the last many weeks. I mean, he understands your scenario. He understands you watching your bank account balance go down and down, maybe into the negatives. He gets it. He sees how, how the work is drying up out there and you're wondering, well, what's next? I mean, but he knows that. He knows that. And just like he can snap his fingers and bring millions of quails to cover a camp, he can look after your situation and your life. If you read the study guide, it's just below in the resource section. One of the exercises I'm encouraging in application of the study guide is, is to, to make a pattern of thankfulness in your life. To every day be thankful to God for what you have, for what he's doing, what he's done in your life, what he's currently doing. And just to keep a, an attitude of gratitude as you move through the wilderness. Manna may seem monotonous, but it's manna. And it has everything they need to get through. God will give you everything you need to get through. He may not give you everything you want to get through. And that's going to be part of the wilderness journey for each one of us in different ways. But we trust in his provision. We trust in his timing. We realize that what is ahead is better than what we've left behind. We don't romanticize or idealize the past. We don't complain and criticize. We don't cry out and whine and wail. We just move forward confidently with God. The Spirit of God came upon those elders and the Ruhak, the wind of God, brought the quails and he, he answered both those questions. For one, it was a blessing. For another, it was a curse. We want to find the blessing in the wilderness. Understand, we're here for you as you go through this. You're not alone. 
God's with you, but we are his church and we're here for each other. And I, I've been encouraged, just the stories I hear of people supporting each other, walking with each other, reaching out to each other and, and look forward to you know, like a, you know, being together again. But understand as we journey together, let's continue to pray for each other, to call each other, to support each other and to find God's hope and strength in this journey. God will take care of you and of me. Let's learn from this lesson and trust God and walk forward in faith and thankfulness. Faith and thankfulness. I pray that you will just have a good and godly day and find the strength for this next season of the journey. God bless. We'll see you next week.